A warm from the Evo, welcome to Love you, Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Visa Family Podcast, and got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Kevin Sweeney does a great job over there with Sports Illustrated. He also does a great podcast of his own called the CBB Central Podcast. He is going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be taking a look at the games that we're going to be getting on Friday and this weekend, and why when it comes to a lot of these top teams because we have noticed that this year there's really not as much of a clear-cut number one as to why you shouldn't be overreacting to one very, very good or one very, very bad performance. So we're going to be diving into that in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday. As we had some bank shots, first things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And we've got one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters CM. Naming does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any questions today, but a few of the top cover teams in college basketball were in action on Thursday. We also wound up seeing a few upsets as well. So let's take a look back and try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Number three, Purdue goes down on the road as Michigan is able to get the job done 82 to 58. Purdue was just completely bludgeoned in this game throughout. Jaden Ivey was able to give the team 18 points, wound up going 6 to 12 from the floor, but really the only guy that showed up. What was really surprising in this one, Michigan wins a rebound battle by a count of 35 to 25. Hunter Dickinson, 22 points, four assists, nine boards. He goes four of six from three-point range. Eli Brooks, four of four from distance. Michigan as a whole, they go 12 of 21 from the outside. Purdue, four of 18. Just a really bad performance in general out of Purdue in this one as Michigan. Just seven turnovers as well, so that certainly did not go the way of the Boilermakers. You wound up seeing pretty much all the other ranked teams do a relatively solid job, though. Duke was able to get it done 82-64. to You wound up seeing a pretty cheap foul out of David Collins. I wound up getting him ejected as he wound up taking out the legs of Wendell Moore as he wound up going in for a dunk. Moore wound up being fine, and so was Duke as... You wind up having Paulo Boncaro give you 15 points, 10 boards. Alan Griffin goes 4 of 5 from 3. He's now shooting like 60% from 3 on the road. And for Clemson, they go 5 of 18 from distance. They were able to have P.J. Hall chip in their 17 points, but certainly not a game that went their way. Murray State was unable to get the cover, but after trailing 36-29 at the half, they really put it on Tennessee State late, 73-62 to the final. For Murray State, K.J. Williams went off for 39 points in this one, so he was certainly able to light it up. And if you're taking a look at the other top teams out there in the OVC, Belmont barely gets by Morehead State in a 48-47 slobberknocker as you wind up seeing Morehead State in this one wind up scoring a grand total of two points in the final 518, which wound up costing them. And for that matter, they scored eight points in the final 14 or so minutes. So certainly you wind up seeing some suspect offense in this game, to say the least. You wind up seeing a little bit of defense as well out of Austin P, who's now your top under team in all of college basketball. They get it done against Southeast Missouri State by a count of 74-66. to If you're looking at the other top under team in college basketball as well, that would be UC Irvine. They wind up playing yet another under as well. They are now three overs, 12 unders, and a push. P, by the way, 16 unders, three overs, and a push for the Governators. But for UC Irvine, their total of 122.5 barely winds up going under as they are able to get the win, and they are able to get the cover against UC Riverside by kind of 66-56 uh, in that one. You also wind up seeing a really good over team wind up taking the floor on Thursday as well as it was Iowa who wanted just completely taking it to Maryland. And if you wound up betting the under, this one just had no shot whatsoever because we wound up seeing 97 points in the first half. Iowa, they very nearly wind up sending Maryland to a record for most points given up. That record is 114, and they put up 110 in this one, 110-87. Maryland just got completely drubbed. Jordan Bohannon goes 10. 
10 of 16 from three-point range. Iowa's all 19 of 34. Maryland loses this game by north of 20 points while going 14 to 26 from three-point range. So that was certainly a little bit of an issue for them. No issues for some of the top cover teams in all of college basketball, though. Middle Tennessee, they wind up being able to take down Old Dominion by a count of 63 to 48. Middle Tennessee doesn't necessarily do one thing great, but they've been able to do one thing very solidly, and that's be able to get you to the window. 15-5-1 against the spread now. Longwood, they improved to 14-5-1 against the spread as they were able to get it done out there in the Big South as they take down USC Upstate by a count of 85-72. If you're looking at the longest win streak in college basketball, that now belongs to Wagner. Wagner was able to win, I believe now, their 15th straight game against D1 competition as they were able to get the job done out there in the Northeast Conference. 69 to 57 against Mount St. Mary, so they were able to get a cover in that one as well. If you're looking at teams that we're going to call what it is, have not been able to do so well against the spread. Well, you're looking at another Conference USA team as Marshall. They wind up losing to Florida International as a favorite, 72 to 71. They have now fallen out 4 16 and 2 against the spread. That is the worst mark in college basketball. Gonzaga wound up playing one of the worst cover teams in college basketball in Pacific. Pacific winds up falling to 5-17 against the spread as they could not get any offense going whatsoever against the Bulldogs of Gonzaga. 89-51 as Roger Bolton was able to do some solid work in this one for Pacific. I think that there was a stretch in which they wound up having something along the lines of 4 points over the course of 12 minutes in this one. That's just really, really bad considering how many possessions they had. They went 3 of 21 from 3-point range, so certainly a rough night for Pacific to say the least. It was a little bit of a rough night for Washington State as well, as they wind up not being able to hit any threes whatsoever against Arizona. Wildcats wind up getting it done by a count of 72 to 60 for Washington State. 8 of 32 from 3-point range. They actually didn't do too bad of a job when it comes to being able to take care of the ball with just 9 turnovers compared to Arizona's 18, but for Arizona... They have Ben Matherin on their side. He went off for 20 points, buried a trio of trees. You also wound up having Dallin Terry be able to give the team 12 rebounds, 5 assists, just 3 points, but was able to chip in there some production in a wide variety of ways. St. Mary's winds up completely drubbing San Diego by a count of 86-57 as St. Mary's, a team that very much does a very solid job of having just a little bit of everyone be able to contribute. Logan Johnson wound up being the headliner in this game with 16 points and 9 rebounds, but I believe that you wound up having a grand total of 13 guys in this game score at least 2 points, so got to give a lot of credit there. A team that's been, shall we say, rough against the spread this season. That would be our good friends over there at Little Rock. And with Little Rock, it was another rough night for them as they wind up getting drubbed. They wind up taking the L by a count of 77 to 46 against South Alabama. So that was not necessarily the world's greatest sign for them. And if you're just taking a look at strangest in general in college basketball, UC Santa Barbara, they have really been down this year. They're down to 5 and 11 against the spread. They wind up taking down Kelsey Bakersfield, though, by a count of 74 to 62. Been a little bit of a rough year for them, but they were able to get this one to the window. And something else that has been very strange in general when you take a look at college basketball is some of these power conferences because you've got a Pac 12 that is very herky jerky, and all of a sudden, Washington has been one of your best teams out there in the conference. They take down Arizona State by a count of 87 to 64, so Arizona State South played a few overs, but with Washington, they find themselves 8-4 in conference play. Oregon and UCLA are tied for a second behind Arizona at 9-3. Oregon, they get the win, but no cover against Sanford by a count of 68-60 in this one. Sanford just 6-25 from three-point range, and their turnover won't continue. They lose that battle by a count of 17-10, or else they might have actually had a fighting shot in this game, but what we're noticing in college basketball as well, and we're going to be talking about this a little bit more on the flip side with our good friend Kevin Sweeney, is that home teams have really been able to do a solid job in home underdogs over the last seven days, 71-63-3 and three against the spread. Meanwhile, if you take a look at overs and unders, last week it's been relatively equal, 193 unders, 186 overs, so right around a 51% hit rate to the under, and if you take a look at the last month in general in college basketball, you've actually noticed that road teams have been able to cover right around 52% of spreads, but home underdogs, 284, 266, and 7, and unders hitting at about a 
1.8% clip, 788 unders, 733 overs. So we're certainly taking a look at a wide variety of things in college basketball right now. And with our good friend Kevin Sweeney next, we are going to be talking about what we're going to be seeing in college basketball the next few days, how to gauge some of these teams, why to not overreact if a team winds up taking a loss or two. We're going to be having that chat next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in Love You Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops, and now a part of the Beast and Family Podcast. And we've got a great guest on the podcast today. It's Kevin Sweeney. Does a terrific job over there doing a wide variety of things. His main beat right now is with Sports Illustrated, covering college basketball, a little bit of bracketology, so much more with them. He also does the CBB Central Podcast with Brad Cavallaro, and you're able to find that podcast wherever you get this podcast, and you'll find him occasionally on the field of 68 as well as to be able to follow Kevin on on Twitter. That would be at CBB underscore Central. And Kevin, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Greg, thanks for having me as always. It is great to have you aboard. And Kevin, it is going to be very interesting to see what we wind up getting the next few days in college basketball. Talked with you a little bit about this off air, but we don't necessarily have a big giant slate of games for Friday, but I am very curious with the one battle that we've got between ranked teams. That would be UConn and Xavier, because I do feel like sort of the top middle of the Big East is very intriguing, because obviously you've got these two teams, you've got Providence, you've got Marquette. I would throw in there for less of an extent Seton Hall, although they've fallen on some tough times as well. list goes on and on, and I take a look at this entire conference. You've got a couple very clear bottom feeders. I'm looking at you, Georgetown, but the Big East, in my opinion, has been the most surprising conference to the better in all of college basketball this season. It's been very competitive. For me, I've been a little bit underwhelmed with certain teams at certain moments. And I think right now, Xavier is a team that is probably trending in the wrong direction. I just don't have a great deal of confidence in Paul Scruggs to make guys better. It seems they're still kind of figuring out the, the Nunji Fremantle dynamic up front. And, you know, Travis Steele has never been high on my list of coaches to trust, particularly late in seasons. We've seen some late season swoons in the past at Xavier under Steele. So, you know, kind of concerned there and sort of think UConn's starting to turn the corner just in terms of the athleticism and finding an identity again. But, you know, I don't know how great they are against high-level teams, but right now I'm not sure that Xavier's really a high-level team. So it should be an interesting battle. And like you said, I mean, the Big East has been just a blast because of how competitive it feels like it is every single night. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And how much stock do you put into situations like you just laid out? Because I've noticed it too with Travis Steele's teams, they always seem to do well in the first half of the season and then they tail off. And I feel like you're able to put certain programs and certain coaches into sort of the tier of they do much better towards the end of the season. We see it with teams like Oregon under Dana Altman, Kentucky with John Calipari, where they might start slow and then they finish a year hot. And then you see it with a team like Xavier, all throwing their Arizona State Sands this year as well, where they start off hot and then they wind up tailing towards the end of the season as well. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And I think it's challenging to 
you know, find these trends, especially given some of the COVID stuff from last year, right? I mean, Travis Seals in year four as a coach, his first year was a rebuild. Year two where the season got shut down. Year three, you get COVID and they had a significant outbreak, I think multiple times. I'm trying to figure out, okay, how much of that was their usual struggles? You know, how much of that's systemic and how much of that's kind of the situation with COVID? And I think this year we're starting to see that, that maybe those problems for the last couple of years are more emblematic of a larger flaw for steel. So I try to take those things into account. I think for us, it's the only areas we can really get huge edges at this point because there's a lot more data out on these teams. So if you, uh, if you have a good sense of when a team's going to start to fall off and you know, it feels like February tends to be the time for Xavier, you can certainly gain an advantage. Yep, I'm right there with you. I do think that it is very important to take a look at some of these teams that just throughout the years, they've been able to rise up towards the end of the year, and in some cases, they wind up falling off the table. As we do have Kevin Sweeney of the CBB Central Podcast and Sports Illustrated joining me right here on the podcast. Speaking of a team that has fallen off and has not been able to do what we were expecting, how about St. Bonaventure, a team that has really been going with a five-man rotation? And I take a look at them going on the road against St. Louis, and I just have really fallen out of favor with the St. Bonaventure team. They actually do a very solid job of being able to hit their free throws. I like Oshun Oshuni, but I know that we've talked about this a few times off air. The fact that St. Bonaventure is right now running the five-man rotation that they are right now, it's not good short-term. It's not good long-term. It's just clearly not working out. And I take a look at the St. Louis team. I actually like the way that they have responded to everything because you may recall just before the season, they wound up losing their top scorer in Mr. Javante Perkins for the entirety of the season. Travis Ford has done a terrific job with this team, and I have a lot of respect for the coaching staff over there at St. Bonaventure, but this has been a massive disappointment. Yeah, it 100% has been. I think there was hope in the preseason that they have more depth, and you know, whether that's the trust thing or a lack of development thing, it hasn't really materialized. It's so challenging to be the preseason anointed mid-major team because it's so rare that those mid-majors actually have top 25 level talent. And you can kind of, over the years, I mean, VCU, I think last year was kind of the anointed mid-major. It was two years ago. Like, you just kind of go through Utah State a couple years ago when Nemeus Cato was a sophomore. Like, it's challenging to live up to the expectation when you're that anointed mid-major. I think it's, it's difficult for your chemistry. I think as soon as you struggle, you start to hear it. There's such expectation, especially in a place like St. Bonaventure where the fan base is so strong. So they overachieved last year on the back of you know, great chemistry and the great ability to close out close games. And this year, I think the chemistry has fallen off. And when you're a team of five guys, and those five don't have very good chemistry, things can uh, things can go down the sheet in I do agree with you there. And I'm so glad that you wound up bringing up Utah State because when we speak of mid-majors, and the Mountain West is going to be on full display on Friday Got a Fresno State team in which they're on the outside looking in for an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament, but if they're able to get a win on the road against Colorado State, that certainly would be helping out that cause. As the Mountain West, they look poised to be able to get four teams into the NCAA tournament. The Utah State versus Nevada game, you were hoping that this was going to mean a little bit more, but Nevada, they've just fallen on some tough times this year. And then you've got the Boise State-UNLV game with Boise State after they wound up looking not so great towards the beginning of the season. Tyson Dejanart, he's been able to come in. He's been able to give this team a little bit of life in general, being a double-digit scorer that was unexpected coming into the season. And I take a look at all three games involving the Mountain West on Friday, and I would argue that I mean, really, other than that Nevada versus Utah State game, they all have NCAA tournament implications based on what winds up happening. Yeah, and I mean, even Utah State, I mean, their metrics indicate their tournament caliber club. You know, they don't really have the wins, and they have the two quadruple four losses that are going to make it really, really challenging. But I don't think they're necessarily out of the mix completely. You know, I think at this time of year, when you're in the Mountain West, your hope is that you know, you're protecting your best teams, right? Like Colorado State, at some point you need Fresno to lose, right? You need Colorado State to beat up on Fresno. You got all these teasons. So far... I mean, Fresno has not been able to take advantage, and that's good for the league because Fresno had the least, you know, the worst odds of getting an at-large bid. And so you want your Colorado States, you want your, you know, Boise States to beat up on Fresno, to steal these quadrant two games, and not take losses in the process. And so at this time of year, you don't want UNLV picking anybody off. They got Colorado State a couple of weeks ago. You want your top four to be protected, and we'll see how well they do it handling things. As you recall last year, I mean, the Mountain West might have cost itself two bids. With late season losses, one to Fresno by Boise State and one by Colorado State at Nevada. Those are games that completely changed that large bid complexion. So it's a challenging time of year. The pressure's on. You know, I've talked to a lot of coaches in that league, and they say every night kind of feels like a conference tournament game because you're building towards these outlier bids and trying to make a case. But it, it produced a lot of fun basketball. There's a lot of great talent at the top, and you just hope that all of them get rewarded with NCAA tournament berths. 
Yep, you certainly do hope so. It's been a long time for the Mountain West to be able to have these success like they've been able to have this year, and it's been very refreshing to see as we do have Kevin Sweeney does a great job over there with the CBB Central Podcast, along with Sports Illustrated joining me on the podcast. And Kevin, we did wind up seeing number one go down a few nights ago. They're going to be back in action on Saturday. But when it comes to hierarchy of college basketball, I think that there's a lot of people that are in sort of the mindset of myself that Gonzaga now takes over that number one role. But I would argue that one through, I'll call it number eight. You might wind up calling it more like six or seven. You might expand it a little bit more. But I would say that those top few teams in college basketball, it's about as tightly nipped as it's been in a long time. Obviously, Gonzaga is right now getting the love because they've just completely torn through the West Coast Conference slate. We're doing this prior to them taking on Pacific, but I'm going to assume that they wound up getting another big win there. But I take a look at the hierarchy of college basketball and these top teams, it all feels like based on the draw that they wind up getting for the NCAA tournament could either make a really deep run or they could wind up going out early because it's just one of those years in which you've got a lot of different teams that they do a lot of things great, but they all seem to have their certain warts as well. Yeah, there's no perfect team in college basketball. I think that's that goes without saying. You're right. There's probably six or seven teams that are in that elite tier, not a huge amount of separation between them. I also think at some point, you kind of got to stick with your guns, right? Like, if you thought Auburn was the best team in the country coming into Arkansas the other night, to losing on the road to an NCAA tournament team in overtime when they played pretty well, like... Hostile environment. Be, right. Should that change your perception? And again, this is kind of more of a event about how the voters operate, but it's like, if you truly believed Auburn was the best team in the country, losing to Arkansas on the road shouldn't have changed your opinion. Like It just shouldn't have changed your mind. Now, if you thought Gonzaga was the whole way, you didn't think you could justify it, sure, go ahead, vote for Gonzaga now, whatever. But I just think people are too reactionary because you know what happens next? If Gonzaga only beats St. Mary's by 12 over the weekend, does that mean that Gonzaga should, should drop in the rankings? Like At some point, you know, we've had a large enough sample size where some individual game should be the, the lone deciding factor, especially when that individual game wasn't even that poor performance for Tim McAuburn. Yep, I do agree with you. The one problem I've had with Auburn, and we wound up seeing it a few nights ago, is that they're just very different when they're on the road rather than at home. We wound up seeing that in the Missouri and the Georgia games, but to your point as well, I do feel like there are a lot of people that are too overreactionary. When it comes to betting markets, I always say that one good slash bad performance should not take a team from being like outside the top 25 to into the top 10, and at the same time, you take one bad loss, you don't wind up having them being like a top five team in the country and then drop them out of the top 25 or anything like that. It shouldn't be that stagnant. Maybe you wind up making a very slight adjustment on a team because now you do have another data point to be able to base it off of. But I do think that that is very important, just taking a look at college basketball, both from a betting standpoint and just a pure college basketball in general standpoint of don't get too high slash too low based on one performance because I mean, when you take a look at 18 to 22-year-olds, you're bound to have really, really good and really, really bad nights for these guys. 100%, especially at this point, right? It, it's one thing if you want to be reactionary in November and December when we haven't seen a lot of tape. At this point, we've got enough data points where your opinions really shouldn't be drastically moving game to game. Yep, totally agree with you, as we do have Kevin Sweeney of the CBB Central Podcast, along with Sports Illustrated, joining me on the podcast. And we're going to have 100 million billion games on Saturday. It is going to be absolutely tremendous. And I know it's hard to pick out a few of them, but who are a couple teams? What are a couple games? What have you that you're really looking forward to seeing this weekend? You can even go to Sunday as well because we've just got a lot of action that's going to be going down. Is there a specific couple of teams, couple of matchups that you're really going to be excited to see, whether it's a little bit of a jury's out situation, you want to gather more information, or a team that you might be a little bit higher on and you want them to be able to back it up? I'm curious to see Arkansas-Alabama on Saturday. You know, Alabama, so volatile, but for the most part, it's been pretty good in Tuscaloosa. Hosting an Arkansas team is in kind of a letdown spot, but also playing too good a team to really be in a letdown spot. It just feels like a game where anything could happen, right? I mean, two teams that love to get up and down, two teams that have tons of guards that create shots, two of the best new coaches in college basketball. I don't know if young is the right word for either of them, but kind of the rising coaches in the sport. I just think that matchup will tell us a lot. Could have significant impacts on seeding. I mean, Arkansas wins that game. You start talking about, okay, could they be a five seed? They kind of work their way all the way back from that you know, really disastrous late December, early January. You know, the end of non-conference play and start of conference play. And then I look ahead to Sunday, and Loyola and Northern Iowa should be a lot of fun. Northern Iowa's been playing great basketball lately. A.J. Green kind of finding his footing. They come to Chicago and take on Loyola. Loyola kind of needs one. 
after losing at Bradley, you know, they're in better shape than I think people think for the NCAA tournament. Like they have no bad losses. They have good wins. Like they have a reputation. I think Loyola is going to be fine, but you, know, you certainly need to protect your home court and they'll get an opportunity to do that against a very good Northern Iowa team in a game that will be likely for first place in the very Valley. You speak of the reputation of Loyola Chicago. It is nothing compared to the reputation of one Kevin Sweeney. You do an absolutely terrific job over there with Sports Illustrated. The CVV Central podcast is one that you're able to find wherever you get this podcast. He and Brad Cavallaro do a terrific job with that as well. Kevin, love the good people at home. Know what you've got in the works for the next few weeks. Now people are able to follow along with all of your work on social media and other platforms. Yeah, absolutely. At CBB underscore central on Twitter is where you can find almost everything these days. Uh, I just wrote a feature story about David Roddy from Colorado State, the most unique superstar in college hoops. So I hope you uh, give it a read. And obviously my bracketology content, which we do over at SI twice a week, that takes up a lot of my time these days as well. Kevin does absolutely terrific work with being able to take a look at college basketball, does a great job of looking at the power conference teams, but at the same time, he does a great job of being able to look at some of those unearthed gems out there in the mid-slash-low-major ranks as well, and always brings it on this podcast. So big thanks to Kevin for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family and Podcast, and it is that time of the podcast coming up next. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank show. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in Lovey, Las Vegas for Ghost to Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Pearson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Kevin Sweeney on the podcast, doing terrific work over there with Sports Illustrated, the CBB Central Podcast, which you're able to find wherever you get this podcast. That is a must-listen as well. He and Brad Cavallaro do a great job there, and Kevin, just time in and time out, always brings it on this podcast. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JRSCORTY1. We don't have any extra games, so we don't really have anything that's going to be going out of time order. I always go in Las Vegas rotation order since a lot of books, a lot of apps, what have you. They do wind up listing the games in this order, and when you wind up coming out to Las Vegas, instead of saying, oh, I would like to bet on, say, Akron, for instance, you'd instead give their rotation number of 872, which is why I do it in this order, but should be relatively in time order on this one as we do begin with this first game of 871-872 on the betting board. Kent State is going to be hitting the road, and they're going to be facing off against Akron. The Zips are finding themselves as a favorite in this pie. You're finding them anywhere between a 3 and a 3.5, and, and your draws game, it is between 127.5 and 129.5. I think we've gone a little bit too low with regards to this total. I wound up setting mine at 135.5 because I do think that there's going to be some late game falling. Kent State started out the year very slow, but they've been kicking things up now. You do have an Akron team that they do recognize 
rank in the bottom 35 in all of college basketball in terms of possessions per game, but at the same time, you do have an Akron team that they're able to put the ball in from three-point range. Xavier Castaneda, coupled with Ali. Ali have been able to combine for 27 points, five and a half assists per game of both gentlemen. Shoot 40% from three. Akron has a collective 35% from long range. Now, the one trepidation that I do have with Akron is that they shoot about 67% on the free line. Kent State has been tremendous at the charity stripe at right around 75.5%, but you really don't have much offense aside from sincere carry. 17.5 points, 4.8 assists, a steal and a half per contest at Kent State. They generate 7 steals per contest. You do have Justin Hamilton. He's six foot 10-ish. able to give you 8.5 points, 6.5 boards per game. Giovanni Santiago now shooting about 35.5% from 3. Started out the year really rough, but you take a look at him recently. Shot at least 37.5% from distance in each out of his last three games. So that has been able to help out this Kent State team. And for Kent State, it has been a little bit of a winding road with regards to this offense, but they've been on a heater. 75 plus points each out of their last five games. Akron is a bunch that they've gotten to at least 70 in three out of their last four. So I do think that both of these teams come in in relatively solid form, but I do think that the X factor here for Akron, which is why I'm willing to lay a three here at three and a half. I'd be willing to lay it a little bit more than I'd be willing to take it is because of Aniri K. Freeman. Guy that's able to give you 13 points, 11 boards per game down low, has been able to give you a block per contest as well. Guy's put up a double-double in four of the last five games, at least 10 boards in every one of those contests. I think that it's going to be tough for Kent State to be able to keep up with that. Malik Jacobs is able to give Kent State right around 7.5 boards, 11 points per game. Doesn't necessarily have a lot of versatility though, and he's been a little bit up and down with his play as well. So, I do think that Akron does wind up getting the job done in the spot. I think that you could wind up seeing some late game following as well. So, take a look at the over semi total 135.5 and, and willing to lay up to 3.5 here with Akron. 873, 874 on the bank board. Ryder hits the road to face off against St. Peter's. St. Peter's is finding themselves as an 8 to an 8.5 point favorite in your tolerance game. In between 130.5 and 131 and when it comes to St. Peter's I wind up saying them as an 8 point favorite. So, here at 8.5 I'm going to be willing to take the points with Ryder. Ryder is a team that as a collective they don't necessarily shoot it tremendously from 3 point range but you do have a pair of guys in Demencio Vaughn, coupled with Dwight Murray Jr., who are able to combine for just under 26 half points per game. They're able to give you a combined 14 boards. Murray Jr. has been able to give you four assists per game, and when it comes to Ryder, they knock down their free throws. 74.7% at the charity stripe. Vaughn and Murray combined to be able to give you three steals per game, and then you do have Ajiri Oguamo-Johnson, who's been able to give you six boards per game. You've been able to get a little bit more out of the North Alabama transfer. Mervyn James as well, a guy that's able to give you 10.2 points per game, shooting 50% from three-point range in true road games and on the road has been able to give the team 11 points per game. You do take a look at St. Peter's, and this team is one of the bottom 50 teams with regards to possessions per game. They do a good job of being able to slow their games down. You do have a pair of guys in Doug Eggert, coupled with Daryl Banks the third. They combine to be able to give you just under 21 points per game. Both of these gentlemen combined to shoot about 43% from three. And for St. Peter's, they do shoot 36.5% from three. The free throw shooting has been able to improve as the season has won along as well. Shooting about 70% at the charity stripe. And Casey Undefu has been able to give you two and a half blocks per game. That's actually down from the 3.6 blocks per game you wound up having last season. But you take a look at it and the guy is had a combined 16 blocks in the last four contests. He has really been able to pick it up with that aspect. But for St. Peter's, this is a team that they commit 14 turnovers per game. Now, they get eight seals per game as well. You do have some like a Fusani Drame. It's been able to give you seven and a half points, seven boards per game. So, you do have quite a few cogs for the team. Ryder doesn't necessarily have quite that much depth, but I do like what I've seen out of Alan Powell being able to give this team 11 points per game, mid-30s, three-point shooter, and he's been able to give the team 13 plus points each out of the last five games. I did wind up saying my total at a 131. Seeing the 130 and a half, I would take that over. And even at a 131, I would rather go with the over rather than the under. But with Ryder having quite a few guys able to give you some good contributions and St. Peter's having their turnover wolves, going to be taking a look at the points to go along with that over. 875, 876 on the banking board. Manhattan is going to be playing us to Monmouth. Monmouth is a 5 to 5 and a half point favorite. And your total on this game, it is anywhere between 139 and a half and 140 and a half. You've got a Manhattan team that has been one of the best teams the overall of college basketball this year. Monmouth won the best teams to the under in college basketball this season, but after Monmouth wound up starting out the year 11-0 against the spread, they have went just 5-7. and seven. The value has been catching up on them a little bit, and I feel like they're overvalued here as well. I wound up saying them as a 3.5 point favorite. You do have Shavar Reynolds, coupled with George Pappas out there in the backcourt. These two guys have been combined for 29.5 points per game. 
Shane Pappas has been able to give you three assists. Reynolds has been able to shoot 86.5% at the free line at Pappas, 83.5% the charity stripe, 36% from three. And then Walker Miller, the brother of Wes, who's over there at Cincinnati, 15 points, six half boards. He has been solid, but you need a little bit more out of guys like Nikhil Ruti, who's able to give you seven rebounds, but only three and a half points per game. And then you take a look at Manhattan, and you've got two guys that are able to dish out the ball, and Ant Nelson, coupled with Jose Perez. Perez, 19 and a half points, four and a half assists, three and a half boards. Now, these two guys, they combine for 6.8 turnovers per game, but Nelson is shooting 37% from three, able to give you 10 points, a little bit over two assists per game, and get good rebounding by committee. Josh Roberts is able to give you five and a half boards per game. Sami Diala, Elijah Buchanan, they combine for about 92.2 boards per game as well. And then you take a look at what wound up happening the first time these two teams wound up playing each other, and it certainly did wind up going the way of Monmouth by kind of 78 to 62, but you take a look inside of that, and for Manhattan, they wound up going just 7 to 27 from three points point range. You wound up having Monmouth just be able to completely win that turnover battle by kind of 12-9. to 9. I do think that things get a little bit sloppier in this game, but I certainly think that Manhattan shoots better than the 35.5% that they wound up having in Game 1, and I just don't know if you're going to have Marcus McClary go off for 18-7 and 7 like he did in the first game. Overall this year, averaging 9.5 points, 4.5 boards per game, shooting 39% from 3-point range, and I do think that this is a game that's going to be poised for a little bit of late game falling. You do have a Manhattan team that shoots right around 74% of the charity stripe. Manhattan and 75%. So I do like this total overset it at a 143.5. And with Monmouth going to make them 3.5 point favorite. So going to be taking the points with Manhattan. 877, 878 on the main board. Xavier is going to be playing off to UConn. UConn is a 1 to 1.5 point underdog with your total between 140 and 140.5. I said UConn as a two-point road favorite, so I'm going to be taking a look at them on the money line. I just think that it's a case of something that we were talking about with our good friend Kevin Sweeney in that it just feels like you've got yourself a Xavier team that is starting to crumble once again towards back half of the season with Xavier. I do like the fact that Zach Fremantle has been able to pick it up a little bit. He was the team's top scorer last season, began the year with some ailments, and now has been able to pick it up a little bit more right around 10 points per game this season, but has been able to give the team at least 12 points in four out of the last five games. Problem is he's been picking up a little bit more foul trouble. You can tell that you have had Adam Kunkel not necessarily at 100% recently. You take a look at his recent performances and he's given the team a combined 15 points in the last five games. A guy that's able to shoot about 35% for three, give you eight points per game. So that has been a little bit of an issue. You got a Xavier team that they're shooting about 33% for three, 71% the free fly. They don't necessarily do anything great or terrible. You've been able to get Kobe Jones going for seven and a half boards, seven and a half points per game. But you take a look at Emory recently, and he's had five rebounds or fewer in each of the last three games. And then for UConn, you've got so many guys that are able to just pound the boards. Adama Sanogo, 15 and a half points, eight and a half boards, two blocks per contest. Isaiah Whaley gives you two blocks, five boards, seven and a half points per game. Tyler Polly has been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range. He's able to give you eight points, four-plus rebounds per game. Andre 3000 Jackson has been a good three-point shooter that still gives you north of seven rebounds per game. He's been able to do a good job of being able to put in there right around seven points per contest. Gives out three assists per game. Then R.J. Cole brings it all together. 16 points, four boards, four and a half assists, steal and a half per game. Shoots 89% of the free throw line. UConn is collective 35% from three, 75.5% at the charity stripe. Don't get it twisted. This is a UConn team that's in the top one with regards to possessions per game as well, so they're looking to pump up the tempo a little bit more now. They did wind up having a little bit of a lack of defensive effort against Marquette a few days ago, but was still able to get the job done there. It's a team that has been able to put up at least 74 points in three out of their last five games, and for Xavier, it's been a little bit tough for them on defense recently as well. Things have been a little bit up and down, and I do think that UConn is in better form. I think that they're going to be able to win the battle on the glass, so won't take UConn on the money line. Did wind up setting this total at a 138, because I do think that UConn is going to be able to pound the glass and with Xavier. You take a look at this offense and it has been struggling quite a bit recently. This is a bunch that they have scored 71 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. So I do think that you're going to see a little bit more of a tight affair in this one. We're going to be taking a look at the under and I'm going to be taking a look at UConn on the money line. 879, 880 on the bank border. Robert Morris is going to be playing against Oakland. Oakland's between a six and seven point favor with your total on scheme in between 144 and 144 and a half. When it comes to the spot, I wound up saying Oakland has a five point favorite. I think that they should be able to get the job done, but for Robert Morris, to the surprise of myself and I'm sure many other people, you have seen this team actually look a little bit better ever since they wound up losing their leader in assists, and a gentleman that wound up coming in from St. John's with quite a bit of fanfare in Rasheem Dunn. He wound up coming out of the fold about 12 games ago. He decided that he just was going to leave the program with 13 points, 4 assists per game, but ever since then, you've seen this backcourt really be able to step up. Michael Green the third, the transfer from Bryant, has been able to give you overall for the year 11 points and 3 assists per game, 
game, but take a look at him, and he's been able to give the team at least four assists in pretty much like four out of the team's last eight games. A guy that has been able to put up double figures in eight out of the last ten as well. You've got Khalil Spear from the Bracket Bus and Bucknell Bison. 14 points, seven and a half boards, a block, and a seal per game. Overall, Robert Morris, they shoot 77% at the free throw line. The tough thing for them has been the 14th and a half turnovers per game, and you've got an Oakland team that they are not going to hang their head on three-point shooting. They shoot right around 38% per three, but they do the little things well. They do generate eight and a half seals per game with each other top four scores, generating at least a steal and a half per contest. They've been able to shoot nearly 80% at the free throw line. Jabal Kane, one of the best mid-major players in all of college basketball. He's very able to give this team 19 and a half points, 10 and a half rebounds per game. You take a look at Jalen Moore, led all of college basketball in terms of assists per game last season. 15 and a half points, 8 assists, 2 seals per game this season, but also 4.7 turnovers per game. Micah Parrish, Trey Thompson, they combined to be able to give you 25 and a half points, 12 boards per game, so they've been rock solid, but you don't necessarily have a ton of depth when it comes to Oakland as well, and we've noticed that with Oakland, they have had their struggles on the road recently. This is a team that they've lost three straight road games straight up. They wound up having a little bit of a tough go of it against UIC as well. It does seem like the defense is starting to flail a little bit for this team as they've allowed at least 74 points in each out of their last four games. And for Robert Morris, has been a little bit tough for them offensively. 66 points or fewer in three out of their last four games, but they have been able to crank it up a little bit more on defense as well, so it's a case of something's got to give. I did wind up saying this total at a 147. I do think that you wind up getting late game fouling, and both of these teams are nails at the free throw line, but I like the current performance of Robert Morris, and I don't like the way that Oakland has been playing outside of the state of Michigan as well, so it's a spot in which I'm going to be willing to take the 6.5 to 7 points here with Robert Morris, and with his total, going to be taking a look at the over. 881, 882, is the DK Nation pick as you've got Wright State hitting the road face off against UW Milwaukee. Milwaukee is between a 7.5 and an 8.0 underdog. Totals any team 146.5 and 147. I did wind up saying my total at 146. You do have a UW Milwaukee team outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game. And Wright State, it's been a little bit slower this year. They're outside the top 100 with regards to possessions per game. They have been able to kick it up a little bit recently. Wright State in the top 60 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. So it is a spot in which I think that's relatively close. I'm going to be taking a look at the under the DK Nation pick, though, is going to be UW Milwaukee. I did wind up saying, though, as more around a four point underdog, you do have a UW Milwaukee team that I fully expect them to get a little bit more out of Pat Baldwin Jr. He's returned for three games that just hasn't been himself in these three games. Two of 17 from three point range, averaging 8.7 points, a little bit over three rebounds per game. I fully expect him to be better in this effort. Keep in mind, he was a top 10 overall recruit that teams like Duke wanted him. I've got to feel like he's going to be able to give you a little bit more, and if not, I'll just take the L on that because, I mean, the guy has a lot of talent. They're talking about him being a first-round pick in the NBA draft. You've got to think that he's going to be able to improve a little bit, but then you take a look at UW-Milwaukee outside of Baldwin, and you do have DeAndre Golson being able to give you 15 points, four boards, mid-33-point shooter. Donovan Newby shoots 93% of the free line, 37% per three, eight points, two and a half assists per game. And what UW-Milwaukee actually does a really good job of is being able to guard the two-point shot. Wright State, they wind up getting about 57% of their points from inside the arc that's in the top 30 in all of college basketball. But UW-Milwaukee, a top 50 post defense as they allow opponents to shoot right around 44.5% from two-point range that's in the top 50 in all of college basketball. So that's actually a forte of theirs. You take a look at this Wright State team, and you do have Tanner Holden. He's holding it down, 20.5 points, 6.5 boards, a little bit over a seal per game, shooting 43% from three. But Wright State overall, they shoot 32. 2.7% from distance. Now, give them credit for the fact that they do shoot 76.5% at the free line, as each other top three scores should at least 76% at the free line. Grant Bazile along Trey Calvin have been able to combine for 31.5 points per game. Bazile is able to give you 8.5 assists, 2 assists per game, and then you've got Calvin being able to give you 3 assists, 3 boards per game, so these guys have been relatively solid, but Great State is not a team that forces a lot of turnovers in UW-Milwaukee. They've turned the ball over 13 times per game. has been a little bit of an issue, but I do think that Jordan Lathan Going to do a good job of being able to help run this offense. Seven and a half points, five and a half boards, three assists per game at home. Has really struggled with his three-point shooting, but also has done a little bit of a better job of being able to dish out the ball, give the team six and a half rebounds per game. So I do think that with him being able to lessen the turnovers recently, a combined six in the last five games at UW-Milwaukee, it's going to be able to hold in this game. The DK Nation pick is going to be UW-Milwaukee taking the points.
Otherwise, set them as a four-point underdog. So we'll take seven and a half to eight here. And I'm going to be taking a look at this total under as well. 883, 884 on the betting board. You've got Detroit in the red face off against Young Sound State. Young Sound State is a one to one and a half point favorite. Jordan's game is 142. And with Young Sound State, I didn't wind up setting them as a three and a half point favorite. I want them to be able to cover this game. So that way, I'm able to use a little penguin gift saying, I'm on my way. But what Young Sound State is on their way for is having a very good low post player in this game. And Michael Acucci, 13 points, seven and a half boards. He's been very solid for a Young Sound State team that has each out of their top seven active scores shooting at least 75% of the free line. Lone outlier is Garrett Covington, who's only played in three games this year season. You've got Shamir Rathane Mace being able to give you a little bit over eight points per contest. He shoots 38.5% from three-point range. And for Young Sound State, among their top five active scores, at least four of them shoot 34.3% from three-point range or better. They don't force a lot of steals. They don't necessarily do a great job in the post, but I do like what you've been able to get uh, Dwayne Coyle coupled with Tevin Olison. These two guys have been able to combine for 25.5 points, nine boards per game, so they've been rock solid there. Then you take a look at Detroit, and you're going to have the best peer score out there in Antoine Davis. 23.5 points, 3.5 boards, 5 assists, 38% three-point shooter, and this is a team that they do a great job of being able to hit their free throws as it's a Detroit team that as a collective is in the top 15 in all of college basketball in this aspect, right around 77.5% at the charity stripe over the last two years, I should say. They're in that top 15, but you do take a look at Detroit as well. 37.5% from three-point range. Each other top four scores shoot at least 37.8% from three-point range. DJ Harvey has been able to get the same a little bit more, 8.6 rebounds per game, but you do take a look at the recent numbers, and he's been able to give the team double figures in each of the last five games, seven plus rebounds in each of the last four. That certainly is a little bit of an X factor for a team that we're going to call it what it is. They don't necessarily have a lot of depth. Noah Waterman, a six foot eleven gentleman, shot 53% from three-point range last season, which is why Detroit was able to cover a lot of numbers late this year. Been shooting more around 34% from three. Hasn't necessarily been as effective, and with Young Sound State having just so many options that they're able to look to for consistent scoring, I do think that they should be able to get the job done, and I do think that this total is set a little bit too high because you do have a Detroit team that, though they're very efficient on offense and very inefficient on defense, they still rank in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. Young Sound State, they aren't looking to gun it either, so set the total at 139.5. I'm looking under at the Young Sound State, willing to lay up to 3.5 with them. 885, 886 on the betting board of UW-Green Bay is going to be playing us to Northern Kentucky, then Norris are finding themselves as a 5.5 point favorite in your total on scheme. It is 128. I wound up setting my total at a 127, so I'm looking under. You got a UW-Green Bay team that they're literally in the bottom 25 with regards to possessions per game. Northern Kentucky never has been, never will be a blazer of a team either. And when it comes to Northern Kentucky, I wound up also making them a 5.5 point favorite. It's a case of which I would rather lay 5.5 than take 5.5 right now. I'm going to be waiting for a little bit of a line move if this winds up getting to like a 4.5 to a 5, then it certainly is going to be more of a set play on Northern Kentucky. If we wind up getting a 6, then I think that there's going to be starting to be some value with UW-Green Bay just because UW-Green Bay does a good job of being able to slow down games. They do have a guy in Emmanuel Asung who's been able to give you 11.5 points, 5 boards per game, so he's been rock solid now. With UW-Green Bay, what has been an issue for them, not having out there Donovan Ivory. He's only played in 15 games a season last round of playing in mid-January and was giving the team double figures in each of the last 5 games prior to his absence. So now they've been looking to someone who's been able to step up as a freshman in Kamari McGee, 11 points per game, but he shoots 25% from 3 and has a collective UW-Green Bay in the bottom 20 in all of college basketball in terms of 3-point shooting at 27.2%. Northern Kentucky should be able to win the battle down low because you do get 7.5 rebounds per game out of Adrian Nelson, not necessarily a prolific scorer, but you take a look at the backcourt and Sam Vincent, 12 points, 3.7 assists, 2.2 steals per game for a Northern Kentucky team that they generate 9.5 steals per game. Now with UW-Green Bay, they don't do the worst job of being able to hold on to the ball. They turn it over right around 12.5 times per contest, considering the tempo that's on SC2 great, but certainly could be worse as well, but what are you going to be able to get out of someone like a Nate Jenkins, who's been able to shoot 38.5% from three-point range, has been able to give the team at least seven points at each of the last five games, but certainly has not necessarily been the most proven of commodities. And then when it comes to a little bit more on this Northern Kentucky team, you do have a pair of guys in Marquise Warwick along Trayvon Faulkner who are able to combine to be able to give you 27.5 points per game. Both of these guys shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range, and with Warwick, he's really been able to heat up a little bit more recently. He's been able to give the team at least 12 points at each of the last four games, so I do like what I'm seeing there. I think the 
Northern Kentucky should be able to control the glass as well with Chris Brandon being able to give you 7.3 rebounds per game. A guy that does a great job of being able to give this offense some second chances. And it's a big reason why Northern Kentucky has been able to get out of their funk a little bit more. So want to lay up to 5.5 here with Northern Kentucky. When it comes to Soto, set it out at 127. So diving under as well. 887, 888 on the banging board. Utah State going to be playing us to Nevada. Nevada is a 12.5 point underdog in your tallest game. It's anywhere between 146 and 146 and a half. I want to say Utah State as a six half point favorite with Nevada. I feel like getting back Grant Sherfield is really big for this team because without Grant Sherfield, I'd probably be making this number more like a nine, nine and a half. But I do feel like Utah State is starting to get a little bit overvalued here because you do have two guys that are absolutely tremendous as big men for Utah State. And that would be Justin Bean coupled with Brandon Orvith. Orvith, why he's coming in from UMBC. Follows Coach Odom over from there. 13 points, 6 half boards, 2.5 assists. Shoots 35% per frame for Bean. He shoots 50% from 3-point range with 18.5 points, 10 boards per game. He has been absolutely tremendous. And at home, shoots more like 55% from 3-point range. But that said, this is a Nevada team that I feel like they can be very pesky now that they've got their full complement of pieces out there. Because you take a look at your field, he gives this team 18 points, 6 half assists. Shoots 35% from 3, 87% the free throw line. You can make the argument that... Grant Sherfield is a top 25 player in terms of how much he means to his respective teams and he causes a big giant line move for me and he wanted being able to get back out there the last time this team wanted pinning the floor against Colorado State and in that game he wound up having 11.7 assists so he did have a little bit of an impact there. So Desmond Cambridge being able to give you 16.5 points, 5 boards, he shoots 35% from 3 Nevada as a whole. They only shoot about 32% from distance but they didn't make 75% of their free throws. It's a bunch that they will likely be both without Warren Washington. Once again, a guy that's able to give you 10 points, 6 boards per game, but Will Baker is a 7-footer that does give this team 11 points, 5.5 rebounds, and he, as a 7-footer, is able to shoot from 3-point range right around 39%, 38% on the road, so it's been relatively consistent there, and you take a look at this Utah State backcourt, and you do have some question marks with it. Brock Miller has been missing for nearly a month. You've got, got R.J. Attell Rock, who's been able to give you 8 points per game. Shoots right around 35% from 3. Utah State as a whole, they do shoot about 35% from 3 74% free throw line, but they themselves don't necessarily generate a lot of seals, so that's been a little bit of an issue for them. I do like what I've seen out of Mr. Steven Ashworth, 9 points, 3.5 assists per game. Guy that's able to shoot about 40% from 3-point range at home and give them credit for being able to get 9 plus points in each of the last 5 games, but I do think that Sherfield makes all the difference in the world for Nevada. I am willing to take the points here. And when it comes to this total, set it out on 148. Utah State, a little bit more of a slow button-up team, but with Nevada, this is a team that I expect them to be a bump up their tempo once again prior to the injury to Sherfield. This was a top 30 team with regards to possessions per game, and I think that they're going to get it going once again. So, taking a look at the over and the points. 889, 890 on the bank board. St. Louis is going to be playing us to St. Bonaventure. The Bonnies are finding themselves between 6 and 6.5 point underdogs in your tallest game. It's angle team 141 and 141.5. When it comes to the Bonnies, I want to saying them as a 7.5 point underdog. I want to talking about it with Kevin Sweeney and that you just have absolutely no depth whatsoever when it comes to St. Louis. I mean, Quandre Adams sometimes comes in and gives you two to four points, but that's on a very rare occasion, and that's about it. You do have down low Oshun Oshuni, who's been able to give you eight rebounds just under three blocks per game. He has been rock solid, and I mean, everyone in your starting five for St. Bonaventure is able to give you at least 10 points per game. You've got Jalen Attaway, Jerron Holmes, Kyle Lofton, I'll give you between 14 and 15 and a half points per game. Attaway and Holmes, they combine to be able to give you about 12 and a half rebounds per game. Lofton's able to give you five assists and two steals per game. As old St. Bonaventure shoots 77% in the free throw line, 33% per three, but they just tire late in games. And then you've got a St. Louis bunch in which you've got much better flow with this offense because Yuri Collins is right now leading all of college basketball. 8.4 assists per game, 2.5 seals. She's 37.5% from three-point range as a whole. St. Louis does shoot 77.5% the charity stripe, 36% from three with Gibson Jimerson giving you 17 points per game. He knocks down 42% of his threes. Francis Okoro is able to give you 7.5 rebounds per game. And then you've got a pair of guys in Fred Thatch Jr. along Terrence Hargrave Jr. Both of these guys give you 4.7 rebounds per game. Both guys give you 7.5 points, so you've got some good interior presence with the team. They don't necessarily have someone as good as Oshuno Shuni, but the fact that they're able to throw out there just multiple bodies and they're able to actually give their starters a little bit of a break, I do think that is very good. And then you've got Jordan Nesbitt who shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. He's able to give you 9.5 points per game. I think that St. Louis is going to be a pull-away in the second half in this one St. Bonaventure. Just as lack defensive efficiency, especially in the second half, due to their lack of of 
depth, and I think that St. Louis going to be able to get the job done in a game that's going to be a little bit more buttoned up. I think that St. Bonaventure going to be dropping their tempo as the season goes along. Set this all at 139.5, diving under. I'm St. Louis made them a 7.5 point favorite, so one to late here. 891-892 on the betting board. Siena is going to be playing us Iona. Iona's find themselves 8.5 to 9 point favorites. And your tallest game, maybe between 140.5 and 141. With Iona, I set them as a seven-point favorite. It's just really tough to be able to win on the road. They found that out when they wound up taking their loss to Niagara about a week ago. And you did take a look at the Seattle bunch after they wound up having a bad non-conference late. They've really been able to pick it up recently. I do like what you've been able to get out of Pierce scorer Kobe Rogers. Doesn't give you a lot of rebounds or assists, but guy that shoots 42.5% from three-point range overall at home, that goes to more like 43% from three. And in home games, he gives you 17 points on 1.6 turnovers per contest. So he has really been a lightning rod whenever he's been in his friendly confines. Meanwhile, you take a look at Iona and Tyson Jolly has been very jolly in being able to give you 14.5 points, 5 boards, shoots 38% for 3 with Iona. They don't necessarily do one thing great other than get to the free throw line, but they only shoot 70% at the charity stripe while they're there. You do have a pair of guys in Quinn Slesnitsky, Lontil, and Van Eyck. They both stand between, I would say, about six foot eight and six foot nine, and they both give you between 8.5 and 9 points per game. They combine to be able to give you 8 boards. Both of these guys shoot it solidly from 3-point range Elijah Joyner is able to give you three assists only turns ball over a time and a half per contest as well but when it comes to Sienna you do have a guy in Anthony Gaines who comes in from Northwestern he's been able to do a solid job giving you 10 points, 7 boards, steal per game Sienna's whole they shoot 35.5% from 3 they are a team that they only generate right around 6.5 steals per contest but been able to get a little bit more recently out of Aiden Carpenter a guy that wound up beginning the year a little bit banged up and has sort of been sporadic with regards to his minutes but whenever he's been at home he's been able to give the team right around 8 points per game. Another guy that is a little bit more of a pure scorer, and I do think that Jackson Stormo could be able to hold his own down low. 11 points, 7 boards, a little bit over a block per contest. I think that Sienna is going to make this game a little bit less than sexy. They're a team that they like to slow things down. Iona, they do rank in the top 75 with regards to possessions per game, but I think that Sienna gets their tempo, set this total at 135.5, so I'm going under. And with Iona, could only make them a 7-point favorite, so going to be taking a look at the points. 893 and 94 on the betting board. Colorado State going to be playing us Fresno State. Fresno State is find themselves and between 5.5 and, and 6-point underdogs with your total between 129 and 130 and with Colorado State made them a 6.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it here when it comes to Colorado State. This punch has been just one of the most efficient in all of college basketball in terms of points on a per possession basis ranking in the top 15 there and they're going up against the Fresno State team that they do a nice job of being able to take the air of the ball. They rank in the bottom 10 with regards to possessions per game with 7 footer Orlando Robinson just doing it all for the team. 19 points, 8 boards, 3 assists, a steal, 1.3 blocks per game, and at 7 feet tall, he shoots 34.5% from 3-point range as a whole. Fresno State shoots 74.7% the free line, 33.5% from 3-point range. They do get some very good production out of Anthony Holland, a guy that stands right around 6 foot 5, 9.7 points, 6 boards, has shot 44% from 3, and in true road games, 53% from 3, but having to go to 4 Collins is a very tough place to play. Fresno State has been a little bit of an up and down team, and I just don't know if they're going to be able to match up well with David Roddy. He gets rowdy. He shoots 50% from 3, 19 points, 8 boards, 3 assists, a block and a steal per game. At least 18 points in 4 out of the last 5 games. Now, he's gotten a little bit more loose with the ball. 3 plus turnovers in each out of the last 4 games, and for Colorado State, that's been a little bit bugaboo for them. They've been turning it over a tad bit more, but Isaiah Stevens, I firmly believe, is one of the better point guards in all of college basketball. 15 half points, 5 assists, a 1.6 turnovers per game, and Colorado State, they just knocked down their free throws. You've got among your top 7 scores, 6 different guys that shoot at least 82% at the free throw line, and it's very hard to match up with. They don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding. Outside of what you're able to get out of Roddy, you only have one other guy that gives you more than four rebounds per game in Chandler Jacobs, but you've got John Tone Jay back in the fold, giving you 10.5 points per game. He shoots 46% from three-point range. Just so many offensive weapons for Colorado State. And that said, Colorado State, they are outside the top 225 with regards to possessions per game, so I do think the things are going to be a little bit more bottled up, but I do think that late-game fouling is going to lead to an over. Set this total at 130.5, I think that Colorado State covers late. Set them as a Six half point favorite, one late here, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over. And we're wrap things up with 895-896 on the banking board. UNLV hits a road face off against Boise State. Boise is an eight to an eight and a half point favorite. Total is 130 and a half. Set my total at 127. You've got a Boise State team that they rank outside the top 260 with regards to possessions per game, and they really have been hanging their head on defense. Now, what you like about Boise State is that the scoring is relatively spread out with this team. You got Marcus Shaver Jr., Emmanuel Acott, able to combine for 
for about 24 points, 7 boards, 5 assists per game. Both of these guys shoot right around 38.5% from 3-point range. Abu Kiyab is your top scorer with 14.6 boards per game, but you take a look at Tyson Dijonart and he really has been an X-factor for this team. Was an afterthought towards the beginning part of the season. Now he's been able to give the team 10 points per contest, shooting 47% from 3-point range in his home games. Has been able to give the team at least 13 points in 4 of the last 5 games, 8 plus points in each out of the last 5. And Maladen Armas, a little bit of a designated rebounder for this team. He's been able to give you 8.3 boards per game overall this season. Has been absolutely dominant in the post, being able to give you a block per game as well. But you do take a look at UNLV. I think that Royce Ham is going to be able to go ham down low. A guy that's able to give you 9.5 boards, 8.5 points per game. You've got to have your trepidations if you trust in Boise State in this spot as well because they do shoot 62% of the free line. That is one of the worst marks in all of college basketball. UNLV, meanwhile, they're relatively solid at the free line, right around 73.5% at the charity stripe. And Bryce Hamilton, he has been able to do a lot of damage on the road. In true road games, is shooting 49% from three with 25.5 points per game. That is absolutely insane right there. The guy has been really on one, giving you at least 23 points in four of the last five games. 17 plus points in each of the last five, so he has been in absolute fuego. And now you've also got Donovan Williams back in the fold, the guy that's able to give you 14 points per game. He shoots 50% from three-point range on the road, 45% from distance. I don't know what it is about UNLV, but they've actually played better on the road than they have at home. Now, guys like a Michael Nuga have not necessarily done a lot as ancillary pieces. Josh Baker has been very much a hit-or-miss guy as well, but you do have a guy in Jordan McCabe who is able to give up five assists at just one and after an overs game. I think that it's going to be a slow and controlled game, but I do think that UNLV is going to be able to hang in there, and I think that Boise State's free throw shooting could cost them a cover. Set Boise State as a 7.5 point favorite, so looking at the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and that will wrap things up for the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Big thanks to our good friend Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you hear podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, one or two ways we will fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GRSCORDY1. Keep in mind, letters M. they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated, and from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah.